You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, you're very, very welcome. My name is Ahanu, and unfortunately, we don't have our lovely Angel Rose with us again today. She seems to be missing more often than that. <laughs> she usually sits in this seat right beside me here. Yeah. But in her place today, we have a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Mezzanato. And that's a lovely Italian name. We'll get to that in a few minutes, too. <laughs> but I want to introduce Nicholas by way of us having met Nicholas when we arrived in Central Oregon in uh, Redmond very close to Bend, Oregon. And he came into our circle of friends who were discussing all kinds of things metaphysical, all kinds of things spiritual. And what I find absolutely delightful about Nicholas is the fact that his history doesn't seem to fit with where he is now. And I want to talk to him today about that transition. And where he came from is very different to where he is now. You Nicholas are actually a veteran, aren't you, of wars in where? Iraq? Uh, yeah, the Iraq war. So tell us a little bit about that and how, you know, give us the transition of how you can move from a, a confrontational situation like that into this really beautiful spiritual place where you are now. Well, I didn't even think about it like that, but yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> uh, from Portland, Oregon ori originally, and kind of grew up with a... Um, I don't know if you want to call it a hero's complex, but like the guy that always kind of wanted to run into the orphanage and save the burning building, you know, right? Yeah, always kind of that type of a person. Yeah. Uh, whether that was some internal thing or some some learned kind of Western society's idea, I'm not sure. But I went and uh, joined the army. Uh, joined um, specifically requested the 101st Airborne, oh. and um, was deployed to. Iraq in like 2004 2006 time frame so I was there for a year but it was um, spread over to yeah, spread over yeah uh, that during that time of pre-deployment deployment coming back gotcha so pretty much I was there in 05 was the most uh, most time I was there hmm. and did you actually see and were you engaged in conflict in that time? Yes. Um, when you say like engaged in conflict, it's it's really hard to give a mental idea of what that is because we don't all all we have reference to is kind of like the movies that we've seen in Western society, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. war is like, or what mm. what war is, or <clears throat> you know, because and many veterans have different experiences. I know veterans that went to war and like never fired. Uh, around right, you know yes, yeah yeah um, but they were in various areas and it's not like they asked to go there it's just kind of mm -hmm. the luck of the draw that it all came down mm -hmm. we happen to be in a pretty pretty horrible uh, place at probably the worst time there was a book um, called black hearts written by Jim Frederick I've heard uh, about that mm -hmm. and uh, well he died uh, and about a year ago I mm -hmm. think uh, unfortunately, but uh, he wrote an amazing book, and if you read the book, Black Hearts, it's called One Platoon's Descent into Madness, and that kind of gives you an idea of what type of a tour it was. Right. Um, but um, so you yeah. were you were witnessing really the human descending into kind of chaos in a in a way. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, it was uh, kind of a 
a rude awakening. I'll call it rude because it was very um, immediate as soon as I got there. Mm. Um, just being around death and being around uh, uh, violence uh, on that scale, that type of violence was... Um, I had never been exposed to anything like that before. Right. And um, I kind of fell right into it, you know, and it was kind of a year of absolute madness, yeah. When you say you fell into it, and, and let's be clear to our viewers and our listeners, we, we don't dwell on the negativity here by any means, and we always try to keep everything upbeat and that. But of necessity, though, you know, we always recognize, too, that we live in the world, our feet are on the ground, and as such, we have to recognize that there are events in our lives that bring us here. And this is obviously one of the events that brought you here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is part of our experiencing. And when you say you fell into it, do you, do you mean you fell into that kind of chaotic mindset, do you mean? Or you, you just rode in with the orders of what you I had to do? I was very surprised. I mean, you have an idea of how you're going to react to those situations, especially in the male world. Hmm. Um, uh, I think that a lot of, especially in Western society, we, we grew up with this idea of wanting to kind of prove our, ourselves, prove ourselves as men, that we can yes. handle ourselves in you know violent situations or be a hero of sorts. You know, I think hmm. that that hmm. is hmm. down in there. And being exposed to that world, meaning I, I fell into it, was I immediately accepted that I was there, but also I kind of accepted the fact that it, it was very possible that I was going to die. Mm-hmm. So it put me in a place of, um, it kind of blew the fear out of the way because it was more of just being present and saying, okay, yeah, there's a, pr- a high probability I'm going to die in this place based on the casualties mm-hmm. we were taking. And to uh, accept that. Um, and did that give you a, a kind of a sense of invincibility? Like, were you kind of a, did you feel a sense of bravado that you were invincible somehow? And Yes. I mean, now looking back, I realize obviously that wasn't the case, but mm-hmm. thinking back to where I was in it, it was very much a uh, feeling of invincibility, you know, and I, I saw that in a lot of the other guys uh, yeah. around us as well. Yeah. And tell us about, because we want to talk about spirituality, you know. Sure. Uh, tell us about the, that time. I want you to stay in that time frame for the moment. I know a lot of Americans are very religious. So you obviously would have witnessed a kind of a, a religious a devotion there that obviously kept some people going. Did, were you? Yeah, I had that? it as well. I was um, Christian at the time, um, very much... Um, that was something that I held as kind of a rock to keep me going. Right. Was a faith that, um, you know, that I was protected. And mm-hmm. um, there were many times that I felt that way. And the thing is, it doesn't matter if it's psychological or reality or whatever, but there was times that I felt that I was kind of protected. That your God was the right God, that it was a holy war in Possib- a sense. Well, oh, no, no, no. I meant more of um, in, rel- in the realm of like protection of. Okay. Of kind of miraculous things happening and like things blowing up around us. I mean, there were many, many times where, you know, I'm not, and I'm not like saying that this is, these were miracles because it could totally be a roll of the dice and I'm just the one that's sitting here and everybody else rolled the dice and didn't get those dice. Yes. But, uh, you know, there were times where, um, you know, uh, uh, like huge explosions would happen. I mean, not even, you know, six meters away from us. And I remember one time there was three of us that were blown over by a blast Mm. and shrapnel went everywhere, but it didn't hit any of us. It hit one of my uh, sergeants in the, in the, 
in the rear end. <laughs> oh, dear. But it was so small that it didn't really matter, and we kind of laughed about it. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was times like that, and yeah. there were times where we, my truck drove over bombs, and then the truck behind us hit the bomb, but even then, no one died. I mean, wow. there, were, there were really, you know, yeah, it shaved the whole front end of the truck off. And uh, there were a lot of times like that where I felt that that was there, and I kind of attribute it to that sort of faith. Now I realize that that type of a faith, you know, um, is much larger than just a single kind of facet of reality, and it doesn't really mm. matter what mm. what I had faith in; it probably would have worked. With, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I understand so, that. Yeah. But at the time, obviously, it's absolutely necessary. And yeah. for example, to put it in context, if if a Muslim was in that situation, their belief in Allah would be as just as powerful and yeah. and all encompassing, and that would be the faith of that, or indeed any belief system, yeah. any belief system whatsoever. But it's necessary to have it, though, I under, I, I, I think I, I probably would do better now the way that my, uh, I hate to call it psychology, but I guess understanding or my kind of limited knowledge of mm. how things come together would probably put me in a much better situation. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have had as many, you know, um, problems with post-traumatic stress when I got back. Right. Um, you know, those types of yeah. things, yeah. Now... I do want to talk about post-traumatic stress because we've had uh, qu quite a lot of exposure, really, uh, with people who we've interviewed as well as people in extended family and so on. And indeed, there is a high percentage of people in the United States who have been in, in the military and are suffering and continue to suffer from post-traumatic stress. But you seem to have done something about it. That, that's what I'm finding very attractive. You seem to have kind of cleared it in your head. And a couple of times in our conversation, you said, if I had known now what I know then, or if I did it. So in other words, there has been a transition. When did that transition begin? It really started when I, um, when I came back and I was, uh, was discharged from the military for post-traumatic stress. <clears throat> I just got to a point where it just didn't work anymore. I couldn't, um, mm. I couldn't function in the military. And so I was um, discharged, just medical discharge for post-traumatic stress. And uh, I started to get into yoga and to kind of studying, because um, uh, when you say yoga, you think, you know, doing, head, standing on your head and bending and things like that. Yes. But more, more of the meditation side of yoga. There's four, four divisions of yoga, which I could talk about later. But yeah. uh, Hatha yoga, which is the postures, is just one subdivision of karma mm. yoga, which is, anyway, I can mm. go into that later. But... The time that it really started to separate was when I realized that um, breaking down who we are, and I'm not saying that I'm free from it. I'm not free from it. Um, I still suffer from post-traumatic stress, and the depression still hits me, and I get ripped into places where uh, I'm not able to get out of bed and things like that. I'm not able to kind of answer my phone, and I, you know, there's lots of symptoms that come over. Right. But what the difference between then and now is that I know that post-traumatic stress is something that I gathered that I, that, that I didn't have at one point and uh, I, I had gathered it uh, and, and that means that there is a difference between me and that so there was an identity associated with post-traumatic stress uh, especially when people are saying oh well you you know make constantly making excuses for me you know like oh well you've been through a lot you've been through a lot and, yes. you know 
and that kind of reinforced that identity. And it, and so when I thought about PTSD, I thought of it as me, mm. to where now I know it's something that I suffer from, but there, but because of the yoga, it's put a, it's put a distance between me and that post traumatic stress. Whoa. To where I can look at it and say, okay, I may be having a flush thing. I may be crying in public for no reason. I may be having these things that are post-traumatic stress related. But I don't have to think that that is Nicholas or who I am. Right. It is something that I've gathered, much like a lot of the belief systems and identities and things that I've kind of accumulated over the years. Now I'm at the point where through the yoga, I'm pushing some distance between that, pushing mm-hmm. some distance between mm-hmm. me and my emotions. Mm-hmm. To where you know, I used to think that I'm angry. It's like, no, well, I'm becoming angry, and that's not who I am. That's it's just very interesting yeah. that you should say that because we find ourselves liking the the I am concepts, you know, where we say I am as opposed to I wish or I want or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I am. And indeed, when people ask me, my name, I say, I am Ahanu, as opposed to my name is, mm-hmm. you know? So in, in a sense, when you say I am, there's an ownership there. So when people say, for example, I am depressed or I am sad, they're actually taking ownership of that in a way that I find really interesting because where I come from in Ireland, we have, in the Irish language now I'm specifically talking about, if you were to say, I am sad, you would say Tobron Orum. And that means sadness is on me. Right, yeah. As opposed to I am. Yeah. Sad. You see? <clears throat> so when you say something is on me, it means that you have the power to lift it off. And the same thing is, you know, when you say I have a cold, uh, in Irish you would say there is a cold on me. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So you can lift it off. Yeah. Now, I find that interesting in the way you're describing that. So you were able to separate yourself then, in a sense, from this post-traumatic stress symptoms let's say you were able to say well i recognize that but it's not me mm-hmm. is that is that how yeah to a certain extent that's exactly what i'm describing and that and that doesn't go just with post-traumatic stress uh i mean that is something that i've accumulated but the truth of the matter is if you take it a step further every thought that you have in your brain every emotion that you have every identity every belief that you have was gathered you didn't just come up with it on your own. Everything that you have. And so like when we're talking about our physical body and our mind, there are two temporary things that are not eternal or whatever we're seeking, right? And in spirituality, uh, when we say that someone is spiritual, they're, spe- they're, they're seeking uh, something outside of the dimension of the physical, mm-hmm. which the brain is also physical. Your thoughts are physical as much as you want to make them not because we can't mm-hmm. see it, but like a light bulb, right? Or this microphone, mm-hmm. you know, the microphone is physical, the sound is coming out, but also the electricity that's going through there is also physical. It's subtle, but it's still physical. Yes. So when we think about our thoughts and our emotions and things that we have, you know, like when you say, like, who are you? Well, I'm a, uh, you know, I am my name, whatever they call you. But then you go into kind of what you do. Or if you have kind of evolved past the what you do, you know, I'm a painter, I'm a whatever, usually what you do for a job, then you move on to things of what you are in terms of uh, idealistic things. I'm a courageous person. I'm a, I'm a healer. I am a this. I am a that. And you, but the truth of the matter is, is those are identities that you've taken on to yourself. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily 
the truth of who you are, mm-hmm. you know, whatever eternal is in you. Everything yes. else is kind of temporary. Yeah. So when we're thinking in terms of post-traumatic stress, am I not suffering from it? No, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm not suffering anymore. I'm just hoping at some point that will be. But at least I have the point where the gig is up. No longer am I going to be controlled by things right. that are uh, that I have gathered over time. And the uh, the process, the spiritual process of yoga is is sometimes quickly, uh, sometimes slowly shedding all of those things that you've gathered mm. that you think are you. Mm. You know. Do you think, Nicholas, that the, you practicing yoga and and how well it has worked for you? Do you think that it is a panacea for all kinds of post-traumatic stress? Yes, I think that post-traumatic stress, I mean, it's hard to define it, um, but there there are, uh, within the pantheon of post-traumatic stresses, uh, there's a lot of different um, ways that it reacts. First of all, people, all, every individual on the planet is different and they receive things differently and process things differently but within the umbrella of PTSD there's lots of different uh, post-traumatic stress you know post-traumatic stress from sexual abuse from trauma from car accidents from different things you know sure uh, they're gonna react in different ways like I know um, there was a veteran who flew uh, the UAVs the um, the unmanned vehicles and the drones the drones yeah and dropped bombs on lots and lots and lots of people Mm. and uh, this individual had uh, he was suffering greatly from post-traumatic stress now you take a guy like that and you take a door kicker person and someone who was in um, constantly being shot at in close quarters constantly having firefights in you know in a house like this you know like that type of a, a person is going to have different symptoms. It's going to be, and I'm not going to say it absolutely is, but tends to be mm. more on the realm of proximity, more along the realm of uh, the, the violence to where the person with that, they're not going to have those types of systems because they were sitting in a room with a little screen. Yeah. It's more like, like a video game. Mm-hmm. But dropping. with that, it's more of the, I've seen a lot with that type of PTSD goes into the depression area in the kind of moral injury category as in they had a set that you know like i've killed so many people and maybe they'll play that over in their head and their brain will play mm-hmm. games with them and keep that rolling and keep that rolling yes. to where um more of a physiological feeling can be for the door kicker guy you know gotcha. the guy that was blown up a lot yes or, yeah. uh he's I, I do understand systems. that difference and i often wondered actually about those ones who are monitoring uh, flying the drones and they could be in virginia or san diego and dropping stuff in afghanistan yeah. or whatever but i i i tended to think myself that they were so removed from it that it didn't affect them in, to that degree but you're saying it does some yeah it, and it also depends on the ind- individual as well you know and like when i say if i knew what i do now going back mm. i could see it for kind of what it is and that was uh, the, the the largest change that I've made in my my kind of walk or whatever you path you want to call it is that I've made the decision that I don't want to do anything unconsciously anymore. Right. I mean, what led me to do most of the things and what leads most of us, we, we just don't know it, is that we're making choices, yes, but we're making unconscious choices. So when we mm-hmm. say, 
you know, oh, I got married and I had kids, you know, if it's a, you know, let's say it's a 30-year-old woman or whatever, and she got married and she had kids and she grew up wherever, mm -hmm. and her parent, you know, she said, oh, I did that because it was the right thing to do, you know, yes. well, we don't know that. That might have been her parents and whatever the belief system said that if you're a woman in 30, you need to hurry up and get married, sure. right? So you're making that choice, but it's an unconscious choice. Yeah. Or, you know, like a lot of us uh, came home and we drank a lot, you know, and mm -hmm. we gained a ton of weight. And mm -hmm. I gained a lot of weight, lost a lot recently, but drinking and eating and feeding that, mm -hmm. you think it's an, uh, you know, you say, oh, well, that's not your fault. It's like, well, you still made the choice, you just made it unconsciously. Yes. Or yes. we find ourselves falling into relationships with someone that we have massive emotions with or they do something for us but that relationship is an unconscious relationship and children come out of that like all of those things or that my job or my career possible mm. you know mm. uh we paths we think oh well we made those choices well we did make those choices we just made them unconsciously yes and we as humans the, the thing that kind of separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom is we can choose to do things consciously you know uh a dog breathes, but you can't really teach. I mean, I'm sure you could teach it, but but not a, a, a dog doesn't naturally know how to hold its breath, you know, a, a, or breathe consciously right. or eat consciously. If you put food in front of a dog, it's going to eat. Now, we as humans can eat unconsciously or we can eat consciously. Mm -hmm. We can breathe consciously. We can, you know, uh, mate consciously. We can uh, do all kinds of things um, consciously. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm, I, it sucks that it took till 32 to figure it out. But to make the agreement that I'm going to make choices in my life based on um, uh, conscious choices versus being led by some compulsions that were derived from my childhood or past lives or whatever you want to call the compulsions that are driven through us. And I'm not saying just bad compulsions, good compulsions. Mm -hmm. The compulsion to be a hero or to mm -hmm. to help everyone or to, to to the point where it like destroys you that you're trying yeah. to help others you know sure. those are also kind of those well speaking deals. about helping others and you you said a little while ago that you don't know really how in what way you might be helping others but this is one of the reasons that motivated me to actually ask you to come in because i know like you're a fountain of wisdom now and even just speaking about post-traumatic stress and you know we didn't set out with that intention really sure, to talk yeah. about that but obviously that may be of great help to somebody who is listening or watching to this because as i said it's 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 out there it's a serious problem for a lot of people in how to deal with that and you've outlined for us and this is what I wanted to get at. What was that catalyst that was kind of helping you to transform? So you started with the yoga and you felt that that helped you distance yourself from the, the, the pain and the suffering and the trauma of that. Now, I want to move more closer into the present day now. And you mentioned that this kind of realizations only started coming to you when you came back from the, from the war, from the, the conflict, and that you, you were drinking and putting on weight and all of that. I'm sure those kinds of things happen to a lot of people, mm -hmm. that they're kind to trying to integrate back into society. And do you did you find it easier than most, do you think? Or did, was it the same as most people, trying to get back into the routine of daily life? You know, one of the hardest things is the... Um, uh, is trying to grasp uh, the realm of meaning anymore. Like one of the, uh, <clears throat> when you're talking about people transitioning back into society, 
you, your version of a bad day is a very different version of someone else's bad day. And sometimes it puts you in a situation, especially in uh, intimate relationships yeah. with a spouse or a partner or whatever. Um, but also in workplace types of things, it puts you in a position where you end up kind of being the guy like, what are you complaining about, you know? Uh, yes, and that was yes, yes. one of the things that, that, that bothered, uh, that was hard for me uh, coming back in, is that coming from a sense like that, when, when you co- coming from such a horrendous place and watching death, and it, it's life and death. Very little is life and death here in the states that we live in, or at least the areas that we are now. I'm sure that there are, are cities where it's much more dangerous and violent. But even then, it's still not a thing where there's going to be you know, 20 guys with AK-47s and, you know... With the intention It's going to be... There's violence and there's gang violence, but it's not like, yeah. you know, it, it was over there. Yeah. It puts you in a position where you don't have... Uh, it's very hard to relate, and sometimes you come off being extremely insensitive mm-hmm. uh, because you just don't care. Like, I don't care if your boss was yelling at you. Like, that's great. Yeah, you know? small... You're alive, major. everybody's alive, you know? Like, yeah. I'm sorry that you're, yeah. you know whatever insert problem but the thing that allowed me to kind of bridge that is those types of things are all relative and a lot of people say look well i could never imagine what you've been through and i say well you can imagine because one you can imagine anything uh within reason but where it is the truth of the matter is 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 it's is it's relative so you have a scale of what's the worst thing that you've ever been through and, you know, the most pleasant thing you've ever been through, right? Yeah. And you have this scale that, say, is this yeah. this big. And mine is this big in your comparison. But the truth is, is they're the same thing because this is the worst and this is the worst. So you can imagine, you just imagine the worst to a higher degree or a more intense degree. Wow. You know, like if you've ever drank... Um, you know, uh, a wa- wine or something like that, right? Uh, it's a bad comparison, but if you've ever if you've ever had wine and then you've went and drank fortified wine, yes. that's just a stronger version of of that wine. It's just yeah, yeah. you know. And now we do we do want to move towards a little break right here, a little studio break. But before we do, I, w- I want to clarify that. So, do you think that each one of us is capable of responding or dealing with those different levels of intensity in other words you know you made that comparison between somebody in a domestic situation might think getting fired from their job is the worst thing in the world whereas you've been fired at right yeah an different AK-47 type of fire. or a bomb you know so, do you think though that everybody has the capacity to respond when they're put in that situation do, do you understand what i'm asking you yeah, um, I'd have to say yes, because a lot, of, and I, I've had this a lot, because I've told my stories or whatever to lots of different people, and one thing I get a lot is, I go, you know, I couldn't have done that. Yes, that's and, what I wonder. And, too. like, I, I, I couldn't have done, gone through, and I, I have to say that, like, that's not possible, because if you were there, you would have gone through it. You would do it, yeah. Because, or you would have killed yourself. So you're saying you would have killed yourself, yeah. you know, because, like, you, I didn't have any option, right? I was yeah. there. I had to deal with it. I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. So yeah. I was there with everyone dealing with everything that was going on on multiple levels. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is, if you were put in that position and you had to be there, then you would have to be there. So the idea of it's because your brain can't imagine yourself being there. Yeah. And so you're actually put into the position. You don't know how you will react. Um, and people react in different ways, mm. but dealing with it, there is no dealing with it because you're just there. 
it's what you're saying, dealing with it is what are you left with, right? right. And there are people that have been through those situations that are not hmm. affected the way that I was or the way that some of my other um, you know, fellow soldiers were in the realm of PTSD, hmm. in the realm of being affected in those ways. And does that have anything to do with the way that they're built or certain psychological things that they've, um, they've done? I find it that the people that, that see things as black and white that are just don't engage in any sort of like gray area or understanding or trying to you know understand things they tend to do a lot better because they've put it away they're not engaging it at all right and so it's whatever there was the enemy and now i'm kind of in that place to where if i'd go back again i would say first of all i didn't have to go right i chose to go which okay. is a big thing and then second of all the conscious decision to say, well, this is my duty. This is the, the idea that I, I am mm. jumping on with. So I'm just going to do what I'm told and, and not, mm. you know, if I die, I die. You know, like mm. that's, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, I would only be able to do that now. Now, when I went the first, when I was there, it was a very different kind of idea. Cause, mm. And I was young too. I mean, I was 20, 22 yeah. years old. Uh, before we run into, I want to ask another quick question before the break and that is about that sense of loyalty or that sense of patriotism or that sense that righteousness is on my side did that did you feel that yes but it also got kind of battered a bit as i went through it because what what went on over there was not necessarily what the American public's being told, or what you signed up for, and what, what you I signed, thought up, you signed for. up for. Yeah, what I thought I signed yeah, up yeah, for, because yeah. there wasn't a lot of engagement with an enemy. There was a lot of engagement. In, I mean, enemy's a funny word. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of engagement with people that were there that had nothing to do with anything, um, but would be told, you know, given a hundred dollars and told to to plant an IED somewhere, right, a bomb. Uh, so there was this kind of gray weird area where, you know, there was no enemy to fight back. And a lot of uh, yeah. uh, Vietnam vets kind of, when I talk to them, they have this same idea. You know, if I would have went to World War II and it was, uh, there's a hill, right? And we're all brothers. Mm -hmm. We're going to take that hill. Mm, sure. uh, there's a goal. Clear, if we clear. lose, you know, yeah. there's a thousand of us that died in the process. There's mm -hmm. a, that's a sacrifice. These are all psychological things that we can yeah. put in and, oh, we took them too. You know, we got some of them, they got some of us, but we won the hill, right? Or we mm -hmm. pushed back or we mm -hmm. rallied or did all that. There was none of that because it was just, I mean, I'm telling you, we just drove up and down bomb infested roads until someone died. So when you're when you're in a situation like that, there is no, there is no like, I mean, uh, there's no like psychological release from have, getting getting normal things that we think of like revenge. Oh, we lost some guys. Let's go take some of them. It, there was none of that because there was no opportunity. We, you know, it, it's just it'd be a, it's like if you're driving down, you know, the the downtown bend, and you're driving around a corner, and then that corner blew up. And a bunch of people died in the process, and now your ears are ringing, and you're trying to pick up the pieces and try to figure out how to react to. There's, there's nobody, no one there. There's nobody to. There's retire. no one there. Yeah, there's no enemy. Sometimes they would ambush us, but most of the time it's just pieces yeah. of the road that blew up. So in some ways, that that's also very frustrating because. Mm -hmm. was, yeah. Let's take a quick little studio break here. We will be right back after this, and when we come back, we want to talk, get more into the impact of that and the the growth of you spiritually. I want to talk about that. Stay with us.
This book is Ahanu's true story about the loss of his first child, his pain and his struggle with grief and guilt, and the coming to terms with his loss. It forms the foundation of his entire philosophy of life and is a superb grounding in the growth of spiritual awareness. It's truly an epic voyage from the pain and sorrow of a father's grief to the new world of love and forgiveness. Buy it. It is life-changing. Okay, welcome back. My name is Ahanu, and I'm blessed to have with me today, in Angel Rose's place, I have to add, Nicholas Mezzanato. And we had been speaking before the break about the impact, really, of the trauma of war. He, he's, he was in Iraq in 2005. And now, though, is, is really walking a really amazing path as a spiritual being. And I, I use the word blessed because I believe that we are blessed to know him. He's full of wisdom and insights and an amazing grasp of what's going on, really, in terms of the bigger picture. And let's now start to talk about that, Nicholas. You, you mentioned about yoga helping you, you know, to, to distance yourself in a sense, and then how you were able to clear these kinds of things in your head. But probably more importantly, how you were able to distinguish when this post-traumatic stress was coming up for you, that you were able to recognize that it, you had a choice around it. Mm -hmm. How did that connect into you feeling that you were beginning to look at a bigger picture of things? Uh, bigger picture is hard to kind of um, talk about. I could talk about the emotional side of it, I guess, because what we're, you're describing there is when we're talking about using yoga or any of the spiritual kind of technologies or processes, that's essentially what the process is, is trying, is um, I think in a bigger picture, uh, when we're talking about being spiritual, a lot of people have Im images in their mind of, you know, what does a spiritual person do, right? Like you're on the spiritual path or you're seeking God or whatever you want to call um, the ultimate or infinity or whatever we want to talk about. The idea behind that is most of ideas that you're going to become something. So you're seeking something whether in a in, in the, the personification of a god or something in the future you, you're constantly kind of going toward and that's that that's what we say a path right a path uh, puts in some sort of beginning middle and end and you're you're going toward that place um, but with the way it's been described to me is the spiritual process is not necessarily becoming anything it's actually quite the opposite it is uh, removing all the things that are not you until you dissolve into and discover who you really are, which I won't talk about that because that's in the realm of, you know, the only thing I can talk about is what we're not. And um, our emotions are not us. Our emotions are, um, they're basically like super thoughts mm -hmm. in, 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 in a sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Emotions are, uh, when you think about something, uh, you can think about anything, right? And you can have an emotional reaction to it if you dwell on it enough, if you, if you press it there. And, and the thought becoming stronger and adding a physiological reaction to it. But it starts with the thought. That's why everybody says, you know, what you think about, you bring about. And those types of things have, have come into it. But um, the truth of the matter is your thoughts, your emotions, 
um, your feelings, your uh, identities, uh, your beliefs, all of those things are not you. But we want to think that they are, but they're not. They are temporary. They're going to go away uh, when you die. They're not going to have anything to do with you. They're just right now because of your physical brain has that capability and it does its own thing. It's doing it because of the um, survival process. You know, like uh, we have something called an intellect, right? Which is something that divides things. Uh, it's necessary. Like we know how to get into this room, not through the window, but through the door because we have something in our brain that says, look, hey, we need to divide this, you know. Um, that's one part of our brain called the intellect or buddhi. And then there's uh, uh, something else called uh, ahankara. And this is from the yogic sense. Uh, ahankara means identity. And some people call it ego. But mm -hmm. I think we need, you know, there's a di differentiation between ego and identities. Because ego, like you need a certain type of egos to sit here and talk, right? right. You sure. need a certain type of ego to, and we're different egos to different people. You know, to a child, you have a different ego to... Yes. They're, they're also for like social purposes, but identities are different. Identities are things that you take on to yourself that aren't you. So, and it goes as far to say things like, you know, we say things like, oh, I'm a, I'm a courageous person. I'm a hero. I'm a healer. I'm a this, but it goes farther than that. It goes to, I am a father. I am a mother. I am a brother, right? Th mm -hmm. Those are identities that we've taken on that aren't necessarily true. And it sounds funny to say that but they're extremely temporary. Um, so that's the identity portion. Then there's another portion of our brain called manos or memory, which is the memory, everything that we've ever taken in and sleeping and waking through this life and possibly past lives, but I don't talk about that. Uh, through this life is all there and we can access it in different ways like hypnotic states you can access mm -hmm. things that you would never sure. have and then the final portion of our brain in a yogic sense, so there's four parts would be uh, something called um, um, chitta, which is pure intelligence, right? And so when we're talking about our brain and accessing our brain, what we're trying to do is access that portion of our brain, which doesn't which have pure intelligence, has no memory, no ego, has no, no, has no identities. And so that it's like, it's, it's what the trees use to grow pure intelligence. Like the trees know how to grow. They know yes. how to, yeah. how to exist. And so I'm not saying we need to throw away the brain altogether. It's a good tool. And all of those things are good tools. The intellect's a good tool, mm -hmm. but the intellect is like a scalpel as in, if you don't know how to use it, you can really hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly dividing things and putting things into categories and saying, this is good and that's not good. Um, it can really hurt you as a human being. It can ruin. Is that where judgment you. comes in? Is that part I think of the so. I think that uh, uh, a lot of that comes from, and, and if you want to wrap it into the big picture, again, I kind of went off on a tangent here, but the big picture of what I went through is I would divide everything into portions and say, well, these are good soldiers and these are bad soldiers. This is what a good soldier does and this is what a bad soldier does. Or this is, uh, you know, the enemy did this, but this is not the enemy. And, and I would put these kind of comparisons and these judgments, but the truth of the matter is, is it's all one, you know, and we're all going through the same problems, whether you're a terrorist or you're a saint, it's all the same stuff. We're dealing with the same, uh, you know, uh, process, which is we're all doing everything in life hmm. uh, unconsciously. And I'm not saying everyone, but most of us are being driven unconsciously. But the, what it is, is we as human beings are not human beings. Okay. We're like human becomings. Yeah. So everything else in the world, in the animal kingdom, like a tiger, for instance, right? 
a tiger is a, we know what what the what the best tiger is like we know what the highest capability of a tiger is because we've seen it mm-hmm. and the tiger isn't worrying you know if the tiger eats right and they don't suffer like we do right if a tiger eats food and gets enough food in its stomach and 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 has mm-hmm. sex and has other tigers it's fine. It's not it's thinking, happy. am I a good father? Like, no, I ate my children, right? Like, or am I, how's my 401k doing? Am I yeah. being a responsible, you know, business owner? Like, no, they're not thinking about that stuff because they don't care, right? But what, what we're suffering as human beings is we're not suffering our, um, our incapabilities. We're suffering our freedom because a human, the difference between us and the rest of the animal kingdom is we don't know what the ultimate capability of a human being is. We don't know what a human mm, being is because yes. it's it's an open-ended. So sure. we can evolve consciously. Yeah. The rest of the animal kingdom has been evolving yeah. unconsciously up until now. Yeah. And now we're at a point where we have the ability to evolve consciously. And that's the only way we can evolve. The scientists are saying, sure. like, our brain is not going to get any bigger. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. it's going to, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, this is it. This is all we got. All the fat and everything. Yeah. Like, what, what, we, what we have is it. And so when we, when we go to that place, we, we start thinking, well, if I'm going along this process of wanting to be conscious and to evolve consciously, you really slowly understand that these things that you thought were so important, they start being ripped from out from under you. And these things that you used to stand on, you would you were thinking were real. I am a, an American soldier, or I am doing this, I am doing good, or I am doing bad. When that when that sheet gets ripped out from under you, you realize that you were just grasping at holograms. You know, they weren't real to begin with. They were right. ideas that you came on, and you, they became real for you, and they can be extremely real. And we see this in the form of uh, you know Islamic extreme, extremism, but I'll say any belief system that you're taking on because a belief system and I'm just rambling now no but you're, a you're not system. because <laughs> seriously we wanted to talk about the, because right. in a sense everything is a belief system yeah. really but let me just pop back sure, for yeah. a moment when you spoke about animals the way I heard that described was about a, a, the behavior of a cat when it's stalking a mouse and it's, it's ready to pounce and it, its back legs are really winding up. It's like a spring, ready, yeah. right? And all its senses are on hyper alert. And then it takes the pounce. But if it misses the mouse, if the mouse escapes, the cat doesn't go into a whole big rigmarole of regret yeah. and tra- you know, trauma about the whole thing. It actually comes back doesn't to the... doesn't go to a cat psychologist yeah. and try to process why he's missing cat and mice, yeah, and how that affects his... Yeah. Fireplace and it curls yeah. up and it licks itself and, and, yeah. and it kind of says, oh, tomorrow's another day, you know. Yeah, exactly. We get another mouse tomorrow, yeah. you know. And that's why they don't suffer the way that we suffer, yeah, you know, like they don't have that, uh, that capability and because we have mm-hmm. that freedom, we're suffering our freedom, you know, like yeah. we as humans... We suffer everything. If we have a job, we suffer having yeah. a job. If we don't have a job, we suffer not having a job. If we have kids, we're like, oh. Wow. If we don't have kids, we're like, man, I wish I had kids, right? Wow. Like everything in existence, we are suffering our freedom more than we're suffering any type of um, yes. uh, That's incapabilities. I've never heard anybody put it in that yeah. way. But what I did notice you did say, <clears throat> excuse me, what you did say, Nicholas, was you, you, you used a terrorist and a saint in the same sentence now I understood what you were saying but I want to come back to it just for the moment because when you were talking about the four levels of uh, being let's call it sure well mental mental in the mind because we say mind real quick we say mind and we think oh mind 
right? Use your brain. Like, well, what area? We like, think right? we know. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we think we know what we're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But in that, <laughs> in that. Where is forgiveness in all of that? Because I can see where you were going with, you know, the terrorist and the saint and a belief system. If they're all belief systems, which we understand them to be, and you're using these four different levels of capability, where does forgiveness fit into that? Well, this one's hard to do without tweaking some heads because like... What, what <laughs> no, let's tweak the heads. That's what we're here for. And it's why I wanted you to so come in. Here, here's the problem with the brain, right? So the brain and all four levels of the brain, uh, at least and to my understanding, are like this. So the problem with trying to talk about these types of things, this is... Uh, uh, even modern scientists are having problems with this is they're going into a place that they're, they're, they're using their brains and it gets to a point yes. where it becomes, it's called fuzzy logic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense anymore, but it works, right? And, yeah. and they can prove it mathematically, right? Sure. So when you start talking about these things, the, 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 when you're talking about forgiveness, you're really talking about being, being grasped in the realm of relativity. So for the brain to work, for logic to work, you need two. Because the only way for the brain to engage anything, you need a comparison. So the only way that your brain can understand anything is if it has if it can compare it to something else. This and most of the time, polarities. Polarity, yeah. Right. So within the realm of creation, there are there are pairs of opposites. There is hot and there is cold, mm -hmm. right? But the truth of the matter is, there is no hot or cold. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's like, well, it's you perceiving it exactly. So mm -hmm. hot is what four hundred twenty-five degrees, five hundred degrees. That's hot, right? That would burn my hand. But the surface of the sun is what? Oh, I don't know. Mill thousands or millions even. Right, exactly. Yeah, so uh, in yeah. comparison, yeah. 425 degrees or 500 degrees that would burn your hand is ice cold compared <laughs> to that. Now that compared to that, and it never ends, right? right? So the truth is, is things are only different in degree in the physical realm. But the truth is, is two pairs of opposites are actually the same thing. So... When we're talking about spirituality, the true spirituality, it's not in the realm where there are two. In that realm that we're talking about, there is only one. There is no yes and no. There is only yes and yes. There is no hot and cold. There is only hot and hot. There, and in that oneness is there. So when you're talking about forgiveness, and I know that this is kind of a head tweaker, is... The only way that you need to forgive anything is if you are living in the realm of polarity. If you have separated yourself, and or at least you're going that way, and I'm not saying that I've arrived there. This is kind of an intellectual understanding that I have. This isn't mm. necessarily an experiential understanding. I know that that's going to happen at some point. But when you're thinking about forgiveness, you're thinking that there is some sort of difference between me and that terrorist. Mm. You're thinking that there is a division, but the truth is, is there is not. There is no division. The only difference is things that we've accumulated in the realm of polarity. And that's all temporary, yes, right? So yes, yes, yes. for the 80 years or whatever I'm on the earth, these are things that I've engaged with mentally, t -t 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 -t, mm -hmm. which are moral things which don't even exist. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk about morality, and this is another head tweaker, because that's really what the problem is, is my more, you know, any, what, what are morals? When we say morals, we're saying what I understand of what I've been brought up in and what you understand of what you've been brought up in are morally opposed to each other, right? But the truth is, is morality is derived not from some sort of spiritual place. It's derived from wherever you were brought it's up in. It's learned. It's learned. So if you were, you know, for instance, I grew up and I, you know, we have ideas about women. And I'll, I'll tell this real short story because I know we don't have a lot of time. 
Um, but, you know, we have our ideas of how women are treated and how they're not treated and everything in Western society. Mm-hmm. And I grew up of kind of you protect women, right? That, and, uh, and I realize now that that comes from, you know, I didn't, I was, I gathered that. That wasn't something I came up sure. with on my own. But I was driving down the streets of Baghdad and there were, I looked over and there was like this probably 17, 18 year old man punching this 14 year old girl in the face repeatedly. I'm talking like, like Mike Tyson boxing this girl. Wow. And I jumped out of the truck, and everybody kind of jumped out of the truck, and I came over, and I, I slammed this guy up against the wall, and I said, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, this cacophony of, of women came around, no, 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 because I spoke Arabic there. They're saying, la, 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 and they're going in, telling me, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay. It's his sister, and she went to the market without telling him. And they looked at me with like this, yes, this is what, this is right. And he's like, I'm sorry, but this is, he's like, I had to, you know, this is what we do. And I was like, what are you talking about? And even, even the, the young girl was like looking at me with her one good eye, like, yeah, yeah I should have told him. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Right. It didn't make any sense to me. But the thing is, is I'm not saying it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is, is as far as that young man was concerned, he was doing the right thing that if he would have let her do that, that would be worse what he was worse than what he was doing sure. allowing her to think that that she could just run off and yes. do whatever she wants without being punched in the in face that's the way it was a just the way on your part from your upbringing mm-hmm. that you looked upon that as being a, something wrong and i'm not saying that it's right or wrong and i'm not yeah. making any judgments on that i'm just saying that that is what it is yes. and when yes. we're talking about morality the morality that we have is because we were there had we grown up in that system we would have those morals mm-hmm. now in breaking down of everything that we are in the spiritual process, I have a sneaking suspicion that all of those things would get shed loose anyway as you're going through the process of trying to release all of the things that aren't you. Right. To be able to commune with that, that which is not, you know, that, I mean, I don't want to talk about God. I mean, it's just a word that we're talking mm-hmm. about, but, mm-hmm. but that's what we're pointing to. Yes. As we get rid of all of that stuff, what's going to be left is... That and I've met people that are the living embodiment of that, mm-hmm. and you can tell they don't have any, uh, you know, desires or um, they don't have any um, preconceived ideas. They don't have any uh, motivations. They're just there, and they do what they want to do consciously. And I want to become like that eventually. Wow. I'm not there, wow. but uh, no, no. Now you can see why I wanted Nicholas Mesonato to come in and talk to us because I think for me that transition that you've made that those life lessons right. ha- are absolutely wonderful and i believe that everybody would need would 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 enjoy hearing them now i want to just open up another possibility here because usually as has been the pattern in the past for us we would have an author or a, a an artist or or a speaker or we would promote somebody's spiritual path in a way and you don't have a book as such, but what we've spoken about today is fantastic book material. Do you feel that you might ever get to write down your experiences? I think so. I think yeah. part of it, I, I was writing a book about post-traumatic stress for a while and I mm. was pursuing it pretty heavily. Um, but then I realized that uh, I, I took a step back from it because I felt myself becoming identified with it once again. Right. Yeah. And so I've, I, I'm, I'll probably end up going back to doing that. Um, but I'd have to be able to put myself in a position where I'm just doing it because I want to do it, and I'm not yeah, being identifying. pulled by some sure. by by some desire. Well, you know, yeah, the, it could be there. The Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the way he described that, and I have to say, I it, it really helped me. Was he likened 
life as it were and uh, spirit the spirit to the dyeing of a cloth that you would dip a cloth in to dye and it would give it some color and then you would come back at another point in time and dip it in the dye again and it would take on more color and this is the way he described meditation that you would dip into the spirit through meditation and bring the benefit of that out into the let's call it the real world or you know reality as we tend to understand it sure. and then you dip back into spirit again and that this was the way you, you the ideal way in this reality was you dipped in and out of spirit all the time you kind of had a foot in both camps yeah so when when i when you talked about identifying with ptsd because you were writing a book you know that thought came to me that that's only one foot in the camp where you may be helping others understand how yeah. to get through PTSD because you have the experience of that and you can help them understand it. But at the same time, you were able to pull yourself out of it and and, and pulling yourself out of it is also going to help people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't not write the book. Right. I, I think saying. eventually I'll end up yeah. getting yeah. into something. It's just that I want to be established before I start making kind of large actions the way I, I was doing a lot of large actions, I'll call them large as in they're kind of hard things to do. Mm. Um, I want to be more established in my yoga, in, in the path before I kind of jump into that stuff. Um, but right. I'm sure that I'll get back into doing yeah. things in the, yeah. in the I world. I think you should because, as I said in, at the outset, I, I do believe that just raising these issues, just talking about these issues, you know, anybody listening or watching, in, in some ways a lot of the Western world, uh, and I don't mean the Americas, I mean the European side, have not engaged in war to the extent that the Americas have. And so therefore don't have, now I'm talking about relatively recently, and in that way don't have a grasp of what's really going on in their lives, you know. And as I said, we've had exposure to various veterans, and it's a frightening thing actually to see what people are going through out of loyalty or out of that sense of patriotism or out of whatever their their motivations are but people are suffering from it and you know ideally it would be a beautiful thing for your experience to be able to help them to to see where it's at like i mentioned about the cold you know realize that this post-traumatic stress is on you it's not in you it's not you right you know and and that would be a wonderful thing if somebody was yeah. able to arrive at that place yeah. so we must draw to a close just now but I'd like to ask you Nicholas can and I don't mean to put you on the spot like this but a couple of words to summarize really what's what's been going on in general in your life hmm where are you from where you are now uh, I guess to reiterate it would be um, that the, the gig is up. <laughs> the gig is up. <laughs> the gig is up. The I'm, gig is up. I, I'm, I'm no longer, and I would hope that no one else would uh, accept uh, unconscious behavior in their lives. Right. Um, that it would be a place where you really look inside yourself and to ask yourself, you know, um, you know, uh, in terms of what you do or what you are in this life, are you attaching yourself to an identity? You know, like I, I, I talk to people sometimes and they tell me, oh, well, I'm a this or I'm a that. I'm a painter. I'm a carpenter. I'm a this. Yeah. And I say, well, do you use the restroom? And they say, yeah. And it's like, well, are you a shitter? <laughs> and they say, no. 
And usually when I tell them that, they go, they laugh just like that because yeah. it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to think about. Yeah, but it's uh, one, but the truth is that yeah. I mean, you are not that. Right? It's a fantastic way and of you think making them realize that mm-hmm. they have attached themselves to an identity. Yeah, you are not that. You know, you mm-hmm. are are choosing to be in that role, or something's identity, an identity that's become so strong that it's become emotionally pulling to you, yeah. that it's become part of what you think is you uh, but it's not you you know you are not what you do you are not your body you are not your mind you are not your thoughts you are not your emotions if you can put some distance between you and those things that can be or at least has been the first step for me into accessing the different dimensions of life that i really want to access you know so hopefully that happens we'll see well now folks the gig is up the gig is up (laughs) it's been an absolute (laughs) pleasure nicholas mezzanato thank you very much thank you thank you Listening to Angale Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.